Jesus, we thank you for the time that you've given us together here today, Lord, to sing your praises. Uh, Lord, to hear your word. Uh, Lord, the music and the words together, what a beautiful gift it is from you, that we can sing these things in a beautiful way, these truths which are eternal. So, Heavenly Father, um, I, I ask that your Holy Spirit would come upon this congregation now. As, uh, as we hear your word today, uh, open our ears, open our hearts, and then open our lives. Lord, you love us. The Bible says that you love us with an everlasting love. You, you love us with this, with this agape, this, uh, this unconditional love. Lord, you have poured your love into our hearts so that we then can, can give our love to you and to give our love to our neighbor, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to our family, to, to our co-workers, to those that we come into contact with on a daily basis. So I pray, Lord, that, that our love for you would increase, and I, I ask that, that, that our, our love for, for the things of this world would be put in their, in their proper place. We would understand that every good thing is a gift from you, but yet at the same time not to be consumed by the things of this world, rather to be consumed with your love, loving you and loving our neighbor. So give this to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing as we read uh, our scripture for today from James chapter 4. We've been going through this letter from James, and now we're on the fourth chapter beginning with verse 12. James writes, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. James says this, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says? He yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Here ends the reading. You may be seated.
James writes, he warns us against friendship with the world. He says that friendship with the world is enmity against God. And he says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So I'd ask myself this question, how am I a friend of the world? How am I a friend of the world? Because if I'm a friend of the world, that means that I'm an enemy of God. So this passage caused me to pause and to reflect upon my own life, and I pray that the same is true of you. Now, when I first began to think about this passage, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good person. Uh, because, you know, I, I'm, I'm not involved in, in those classic sins that the church has condemned. But then I, I realized that if any of us, First John says, if any of us claims to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, so we have to take this a little deeper. Sometimes we think of worldliness, being in, in love with his world, as, as those classic sins that, that our, our church has historically uh, kind of stood uh, in contrast to. Drinking too much, carousing this, this party lifestyle, not having standards of sexual purity, watching profane movies, looking at things that, that Christians shouldn't look at, whether it's on the screen or on your computer screen or in a magazine. I even had one lady from within our, our church that, that uh, I went over to her house and, and I talked about playing cards and she gave me a dirty look and she says, we don't play with cards in this house. And I said, oh, I meant Skipbo. And she says, oh, we, I love Skipbo. <laughs> So we think that, that if we refrain from, from these classic sins of worldliness, you know, the stuff that we, so many of us were raised in, if you were raised within, within a certain flavor of, of Christianity or evangelicalism, or, or in our case, Lutheranism, you kind of understand what, what the preacher deemed as, as worldly. And, and, and we do a pretty good job of staying away from those things. You know, we don't smoke or drink. We don't do the things that the world does. And we believe that because we, we stay away from these classic sins of, of worldliness, then, then we're godly. Because I don't do those things, that means I'm godly. They're ungodly, but not me. I'm godly. That's true. I, I don't drink too much. I don't smoke. don't watch nasty things. But then I thought, what about love? What about love? Godliness is defined by love. 
You can put it up on the screen, Alyssa, from Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Just a, a reminder here of what godliness really is. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducee, they, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, this expert in, in the Bible and the Old Testament law, asked him a question to test Jesus. And he said to Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment in the, in the law and the Torah? And he said to him this, You shall love. You shall love. Love who? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. So loving God passionately, loving God with, with all that we are, that is to live a godly life. And... Um, he says this, and he said to him, and a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. This is godliness. So I ask you the question today, do you love God with all your heart? Do you? Do you love him passionately? And do you love other people? Do you love your neighbor? And then, uh, so I ask myself this question, am I a friend of the world? Am I a friend of the world? And when, when I was confronted with this passage this week, I, I would say, yeah, I think I'm more of a friend of the world than I am friend of God or a passionate, a person who, who, who is passionate about him, loves him with all my heart and with all that I am and, and loves my neighbor as myself because oftentimes I'm more concerned with myself. And, th and then I think that if I avoid what those people over there are doing, then, you know, you know, I'm godly. I'm good because I'm not doing that stuff. But then we're confronted with, with the heart of the issue, the heart of the matter, which is to love God with everything that we are and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. And if we really look deep inside of that commandment, we realize, no, we, we're sinners. We're sinners. And then what James points out is, is the fruit of not loving God and of not loving other people. And I believe the reason there, there are fights among God's people, and quarrels, and, and judgmental attitudes, and, and hurtful words, even within the church, is because of this. We are prone to exchange a deep and abiding love for God and others for friendship with the world. That's what James says. You see, if it's about God, and if it's about our fellow human beings, our neighbors, then it's really going to be difficult for us to, to, to fight and to quarrel and to have these judgmental attitudes and to speak these hurtful words. 
And the reason we speak these hurtful words and have these hurtful attitudes uh, is because I think that we're more concerned with, with ourselves and what we can gain in this world rather than being passionate about God and others. So, so what are you passionate about? What is your passion in life? What's your passion? When we're too passionate about the things of this world, that's when there's a problem. That's when there's a, 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 a disorder within the church and within our lives and within the world. Now let me say this. Many of the things that we are passionate about, they're, they're not bad in and of themselves. A lot of the things that we're passionate about in life are actually really good things. Good gifts from the Lord. But the problem is, is that, that these good gifts that came from God have become more important to us than God himself. In other words, the gift, we become more passionate about the gift than the giver of the gift who is God. And so when we're so consumed and so passionate about these good gifts that God has given to us and we want to hold on to them and keep them and we don't want to lose them, then we have this attitude of it's all about me. I don't want to lose this. I don't want to lose that. So we fight and we quarrel and we judge and we murder with our words. So what are you passionate about. I want us to think about Daniel today, the Old Testament prophet Daniel. I think I have a picture of Daniel in one of the classic uh, accounts of his life. Daniel in the, in the lion's den. Do you have that, Alyssa? When the Old Testament prophet Daniel was taken captive to Babylonian captivity, I think it's back or maybe it's ahead another one. I'm sorry, this, maybe I messed up the slides. Is there a photo on there, Alyssa? If there is, you can just take it off. When the Old Testament prophet Daniel was taken captive to Babylon, he held on to his love for God above everything else. Daniel loved the Lord above everything else. Darius, the, the king of the Persians, published a decree that for 30 days, no person was allowed to pray to any god or to any person except for the king. Now, that's a pretty arrogant decree, right? The king makes this decree. Imagine I'm the king. I come up and I make the decree. The only uh, god that you can pray to, the only person that you can pray to is myself. So Darius made this decree. When Daniel learned that the decree was published, he went into his room. And what did he do? He opened his, his window towards Jerusalem. And he got on his knees and he prayed to God. Now what I didn't tell you is that the king also decreed that if anybody were to pray to any god except for the king himself that that person would then be thrown into a den of vicious lions. Daniel loved God so much that he was willing to lose his life. Lose everything that he had for God. 
Daniel loved God more than anything. He loved God more than his life. And God miraculously protected Daniel from the mouths of hungry lions. We know, we know the account from, from Daniel. So let's think of Daniel's life and let's do a, a little exercise. Imagine you're Daniel. And first of all, you're, you're taken from your home country into captivity, into captivity, into a, into a foreign land. And here's a list of things taken from Daniel. And now, Alyssa, you can go back to that list. His uh, country was taken from him. Imagine if that happened to you. You know, this is the, the, the land that we love, right? We're proud to be Americans, right? You're taken as a prisoner to a different country, so you lose your country. You lose your home. You lose your family. You lose the food that you, that you eat. You lose your place of worship. He even lost his name. And no doubt the friends and the community that he lived in. I want you to look at this list, and I want you to think, if you, if you had to take one of those things away, which one would you take away? Which one would you take away? You have to take one of them away. Which one are you taking away? You can't have it anymore. Which one do you take away? Does it hurt a little bit to imagine losing that good thing? Does it hurt a little bit? Now, now you have to take another one away. Which one do you take away? You lose it. You can't have it anymore. Does it hurt a little more? Is it becoming more painful? Now a third one. It's taken from you. Which one is it? Now you've taken three away. Which three have you taken away? You can't have those three. You feel the pain a little bit more now? Is it even more difficult? Now you have to take a fourth away. Which, what have you lost? What's been taken from you? Now you have to take a, a fifth away. You can keep the list up there, please, Alyssa. A sixth. Now all of them. All of those are taken from you. Does that hurt? Does that hurt? It's painful, isn't it? What are you left with? You're left with 
the only thing or the only reality that really matters. God. Your Father who loves you. Now I pray that that nothing is taken from you. I pray that that God blesses you richly, not only to to, to know him and to love him, but, but to experience all of the good things that this world offers us. And I pray that none of those things be taken from you. But one day they, they actually will be taken from you to a certain degree. Because Job, you know, he had this, this perspective on life. There's another Old Testament guy named Job. And he said this. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, but he says this, Blessed be the name of the Lord. So this is why we love God passionately. This is why we love others passionately, because in the end, all that matters is is God, who's the giver of every good gift, the giver of eternal life, and our fellow human beings who are also eternal and will last forever and ever. Now, the last thing I want you to believe is that you're required to to forsake all earthly comforts, to give away every good earthly gift, and to go live in a monastery. There are many that believe that if they go live in a monastery and they commit their their lives uh, to to prayer 24-7 and to silent contemplation and to all of these disciplines, uh, then, then they're living a godly life. And that to forsake all earthly comforts is godliness. Rather, it's the opposite, I believe. When you're you're willing to let go of these things and give them to God, when you're willing to give every good gift in your life to God, then life becomes richer and fuller. Life is lived to the full when we realize that these good things given to us in this life aren't God's. They're, They're not God's. But they're gifts of God. And when we trust in God above all else, then we can enjoy life with, with, a, with this great level of freedom. That we're not being uh, held in bondage to these things. That these things aren't the things that are chaining us down, but, but we're living in the freedom of, of God and of, and of what he has done for us and of every good gift that, he, that he's given to us. You see, when we learn to love God and to love others, I believe that the music sounds sweeter. The food is more delicious. The art has greater beauty to it. The pursuit of knowledge is richer. The efforts of our work are done with a deeper sense of purpose and meaning in life. And our service towards others is done with joy. Loving God and loving others leads to a richer and a fuller life. 
So I'm not talking about letting go of everything. I'm talking about not being consumed by the things of this world, not being passionate with the things of this world. Rather be consumed by the love of God and with a love for God and see the lights really come on and to see life from God's perspective and to see how beautiful your life really is. Otherwise, it's just like kind of walking in, in, in the confusion of this world and in the dimness and the darkness of this world. When a person is passionate about the things of this world, they, James says it, they quarrel, they fight, they judge, they hurt. Ultimately proving that friendship with the world is enmity with God and proving that whoever wishes to be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. But here's God. He, even though, though we do pursue these things, uh, which, which are oftentimes good, sometimes they're not good, we pursue these things with passion, God looks down upon you and he says, I love you. He says, I love you with an everlasting love. He is passionate about you. He desires a relationship with you. He wants you to know him, not just to know about him, but to know him, to experience him. So you might ask, how can I enter into this relationship with God? Or how can I strengthen my relationship with him? How can I know God in such a way that his love eclipses the momentary stuff of this world. And not only eclipses the momentary stuff of this world, but causes the good things of this world to be brighter and, and fuller in my life. How can I keep myself from becoming so passionate about this world that I lose my passion for God? And thus lose purpose and meaning in life? Well, the answer that James give up, gives us actually seems counterintuitive. It seems so counterintuitive. The answer, church, is, is repentance. The answer is repentance. Repentance is this wonderful gift that God has granted to you but repentance requires a deep humility. Requires a deep humility. James 4, 6 through 10, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Pathway to a deeper and more abiding love with God is this thing called repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is sorrow over sin. Sorrow over sin. That's what James is writing about. 
Repentance is not only sorrow over our sin, just living in that place of guilt and shame over our sin, but repentance is also a turning. It's a turning from sin towards God. And repentance then is trusting in God alone. To hold fast to Him alone. And it's all a gift. It's all a gift. Repentance is a gift of God that leads us into a right relationship with Himself. Repentance is a hard journey. Martin Luther spoke of repentance as, as a drowning and a death. It's the drowning and the death of our old sinful nature. But he also spoke of repentance as a resurrection. A resurrection to new life. A new life lived in Christ. So repent. Passionate about this world and in love with this world. Forgetting the giver of all good things. Repent. Turn to him. Trust in him. But this needs to go even deeper. Why love God? Why love God? The Apostle John answers this for us. John, 1 John, 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Did you know that love does not originate with us, within us? Love originated in God. Why? Because God is love. We can never love God passionately, nor can we love our our fellow human beings passionately until the love of God is first poured into our hearts. And then the love that we have for God and for our neighbor is simply an outpouring of the love that God has poured into us. We love because God first loved us. And what is this love? John 4, 10 through 12. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What causes fights and quarrels among us? It's this lack of love. The love of God. Being transformed by this love. And allowing that love to pour out of us and into the lives of others. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We also thank you that we, that this morning we get to receive this gift as we partake together in the sacrament of Holy Communion. And Lord, as, as we receive this sacrament this morning, I, I pray that we would receive it. Not just as something that we do once a month, but as an opportunity to to be reminded of your love for us once again. 
that your body was broken for us upon the cross, that your blood was shed for us, that you were the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that, Lord, that when we receive the bread and the wine, we're receiving the very promise that you've given to us in the gospel, that our sins are forgiven. So, Lord, as we receive the sacrament this morning, may we receive it with open hearts, willing to be transformed and changed by you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing together, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. <laughs> 